You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. <coughs> Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. As I do this live, welcome to Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This is the December 16th, 2016 show, and uh, tonight's special guest is uh, Troy C.L.E. And if you want to check him out on Amazon.com, just do a, a search for Troy, note at one space, and then C.L.E. And he is the, uh, the author of Marvelous World series of books, and we're going to get right into that uh, in in just a second, um, what uh, a welcome to the show, Troy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate and, it most definitely. Oh, my my pleasure. And uh, he's coming to us from Jersey, and uh, I've only visited there once. I, I did see it though when I came in once, and I was looking at oh, and I saw all the about three different locations where they filmed The Sopranos on my way in from uh, Laguardia. But um, I, I didn't get over to Jersey. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You said three different locations where they filled the Sopranos. I do believe that was relatively that was relatively close to me because they did shoot some of that in Bloomfield. I do believe. Well, I could be wrong. Uh-huh. You know, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm in that general area where they were. I definitely where they were. I'm, I'm in that general area because East Orange is not too far from there. Oh, okay. See, I I I was definitely near one of the graveyards where they shot mm-hmm. and I, I I recognized two of oh you know the bridge obviously the bridge that Tony goes over where he pays mm-hmm. the toll and stuff like that but that's all I really know about Jersey other than the fact that uh, you know you got that uh, that uh, you know Chris Christie but oh yeah you know, we, 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 we want to talk about him but we have well no Jersey has had Pat Whitney Houston Queen Latifah right? Uh, sure. Naughty by nature. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from '90s hip hop. So um, <laughs> you had all those, you had all, you had, you had all those things. Like even, well, there's been a whole litany of MCs from um, New Jersey, specifically my area, specifically that uh-huh. area, which is East Orange, Newark, like Irvington, yeah. well, whatever it is. But there's just been that whole. It's just been like a breeding ground for for uh, very well-known talent, especially being Whitney Houston. And then also mm-hmm. it's, um, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible for not remembering. Um, oh, my gosh. I cannot remember her name. She is so famous and a prolific black actress. Oh, and it escapes oh, my mind. It'll, it'll, it'll come yes, to you in a few minutes. You know, how, you know how your mind works. Indeed, um, indeed. And, and so did you grow up there, or are you a transplant? Oh no, I'm I'm born in New Jersey, live in New Jersey. I mean, live in East Orange. That's uh-huh. that's that is my home. Pretty that cool. is the um, base. That is ground zero for Marvelous World. First Marvelous <laughs> World book takes place in East Orange, New Jersey, and I was very proud <clears throat> to do that to write it. 
that way. Yeah. Um, and, and what about early in life? I mean, did you have, like, an artistic bent for writing earlier when you were younger, or is this something that that uh, that just kind of came up? Like, for me, I just start, I wrote my first book in 2001, and I had no idea I was ever going to write. So well, what was it like for you? Well, it's just, it's the same. It's it's a story where I saw the movie The Goonies, and when I saw that movie, it was basically I was inspired to say, "Look, this is like my favorite film of all time, even to this day." And I was like, "No kids, no black kids went on that adventure." And I said, "I wanted to, um, what is it, create a story." where it was like all kids, but especially black kids that got to go on the adventure. And I knew that nobody would make that film unless it was like based on a book, even when I was little. So that's what inspired me to start writing. So from that point mm-hmm. on, I had, I had wanted to be a rapper. I wanted to, you know, do things like that. So that involved writing, but I had this goal. I was like, I was going to write this book. I was going to get a published. I was going to turn it into a movie. Um, and just like to jump ahead, like, during my first Hollywood meeting, I was offered a major situation to get my movie made by a major studio, major well-known producer to this day, huge producer, um, but I didn't sign a deal. So, but basically, that was my goal. I had my chance to do that, but I sidestepped that for various reasons. But that's why I became a writer. That was it. <clears throat> How old were you? Uh... I don't even remember. <laughs> oh, you mean when I had gotten? Um... No, no, no. When when you when you first came up with the story. I mean, is this something? You know, no, in, I didn't you know, have a story. Your... I didn't. I didn't have the story of Lewis Proof. Okay. I didn't have that story. I didn't have the story of Marvelous World. I just had an idea, and I just started collecting things from my just my entire life that became a story. But it wasn't so much that I had the characters and I had the plot. I had names, right? Like, like, like the Midland Dial, like Midlandia, and things like that. But I didn't know what they were. Um, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. the idea um, just to um, just have the culmination of everything that I went through as a kid, and and then I turned it into a story when I had. Um, well, I didn't always have the idea to do that. But that's what the book became. And when it just, okay. it just became a situation where it just began to write itself. That's why it was, so much, it was so easy for me to write the first book because basically everything in that book either happened or through quantum mechanics, I made it happen by mm-hmm. focusing on it for that long. So mm-hmm. the first book was my life. Olivia's Favorites, which was my second book, that one was a lot harder to write because I had to make that one up, you know. So it was, uh, um, it was just going from basing my story on my entire life, and then like having to pre- just formulate an entirely new story and um, make that as rich and as deep as the first one, but have it to be totally um, fiction. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of people start out, <clears throat> excuse me, with a great story. You know, they, they think of something, they think of the characters, they think of the influences around them as they were growing up, you know, or maybe maybe in their family, you know, they lived uh, wherever. And, 
and then they and then they put that together and 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 it ends up being a great epic story. Um and I, I can see what you mean by doing the second one being a lot harder because you know all all of the easy stuff sounds like it came right at the beginning for you for the first book. Um yeah. did, when you when you were writing the first book, when you started out writing, did you believe, did you know that it was going to be a series at that point? Yeah, definitely. Because I took the middle of the book out. So I knew there was going to be a next book. I knew that it was going to be in a massive saga. I knew all of this. I didn't know all of that. I knew that okay. it was going to, because Marvelous World is multifaceted. You're not dealing with a situation where it's just like you had Marvelous World and the main protagonist is Louis Pooh. You have Marvelous mm-hmm. World, Marvelous World proper. You have Marvelous World, the Young Armada. You have Marvelous World, Harvey Marvelous. You have Marvelous World, MPG. You have Marvelous World. You have this different ones. Just like, not to, I didn't get my name from Marvel, but I have no, I absolutely love Stanley and everything like that. It didn't come from Marvel. But if you want to say that it, there's a Marvel universe, there's also a Marvelous World universe. You know, so okay. it's, it's the same thing. And later on, that's why I never did my movie deal because I knew all of this was coming. And if anybody knows anything about Hollywood, once you do any deal for any book, right, Hollywood will just immediately own everything that came before it and after. So <clears> that's why I never, I didn't do my movie deal because I knew that all this was coming and it wasn't on the table. So it couldn't, I couldn't do that first deal because I would have sold everything at that one point in time and gotten paid for, like, one book. Not that it was about money, but anybody that knows how Hollywood works, it's like you would have, I would have never gotten any type of residual for anything, and they would have automatically owned it unless they decided to make the movie. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning that if there's a Marvelous World, the Marvelous Effect, they made that movie, right? But they didn't make mm-hmm. Marvelous World, the Young Armada. They would have owned Young Armada, and never had paid me for that property, you know, until well, I, they had this. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, yeah. I think especially today because they're, you know, everybody has finally caught on, you know, websites, uh, media companies, um, movie companies, television stations, all of these cable channels that are producing their own original content, everybody has caught on to the fact that content is king. And Mm. so deals are a lot more sophisticated these days than they were before. And the cool part about that is that there are more black entertainment lawyers out there than there were before who are about the business of protecting you know, people's intellectual property and so that they don't get, um, you know, taken advantage of. So possibly you could put a deal together today where, you know, implicit in the contract is that you retain all rights to your intellectual property. And, and, you you know, Well, you can, you can. Well, at the time, I mean, I was represented by CAA, Creative Artists Agency. And okay. um, what you have to understand, well, what everyone has to understand is the fact that, and I, I'm going to sound, people are not going to understand what I'm saying when I, when I say this sometimes, but as a creator, when you take the value of your property, unless it's huge, like a Harry Potter or something like that, right, and you juxtapose mm-hmm. that with the potential 
let's say if it's a big action, it's, it's a big action film, right? Let's say the movie studio was going to say, we're going to invest $150 million into this property from jump, production budget. We're not even talking about marketing, right? So if mm-hmm. you think about that as a creator, and they say, we're investing $150 million into your property, right? And let's say your property altogether with all books sold and everything, even though it's hot, maybe sold $1.2 million worth of um, generated that much in sales, right? Sure. You can't, sure. Juxt- you can't juxtapose that to the $150 million that they're about to invest into your property. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because companies want a return on their investment. They don't want to invest yep. $150 million in something and say, well, you only own this little piece. You understand what I'm saying? That, that you can. There are times where you can do that deal. I am not disputing that. But that point in time, I did not have the leverage to create that deal for myself. And I knew that. Yeah. And creators have to right. understand. They have to, they have to have. They have to look at the um at the equation from both sides. You can't just say, "Oh, I'm hot, and you're going to give me this type of deal." You don't deserve that deal most of the time because they're putting so much money into create this big blockbuster out of your property. You know what I'm saying? So what happens is, is you got to take a step back. And I was like, you know what? Um, I can't get that deal because I don't even deserve that deal right now, and nobody's going to give me that deal. And um, I and it was either take this or go home. I decided to go home. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So now um, it's a different – and plus, even on top of that, you can't sell something that's in theory. You understand? Well, I couldn't. I can't – any deal can be created. I can't, I'm not going to disparage that. I'm not going to say that. That's not the case. But any deal can be created. But with my very intelligent agent who did the deals for, like, um, the Devil Wears Prada and everything like that, and Artemis Fowl and all these other things, right? That and we spoke, and she said, Troy, you cannot, give the, you cannot create a situation for yourself in theory with these people. You can't say this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, and this is coming, and it doesn't even exist at this point in time. You must put everything on the table. That's what I had to do, and that's what, that's what happened. But anyway, I mean, I've, I've, I kind of diverted from the topic, but you have no, to. No, no, no. I mean, but that, look, that's the other thing. I mean, that, that creators have to realize that you can't sell a pig in a poke. You can't tell people, you know, you know, well, just wait. Okay, like in my situation, I have a trilogy that's done. I'm in the middle of starting a second trilogy in the same universe. So mm-hmm. let's say Sony or somebody comes to me and says, okay, we want to option your trilogy for either a miniseries or a series of movies. And I mm-hmm. think, great. And, and I say, uh, what about, um, you know, the next trilogy and the final book, the seventh book? And and you're absolutely right. They're not interested in all that. No, they're not. They want what's on the table. And if you tell them about anything more, they must be able to see it. When Marvel was sold to Disney, Marvel is king. Marvel was God. Um, so Disney had to pay for Marvel. They didn't pay for mm-hmm. Captain America. They didn't pay for Iron Man. Well, Iron Man was, was paramount at that time. But they didn't pay for that. They bought Marvel Universe that was not already pre-sold. You understand? So right. that deal within itself was very, very, very lucrative. But you will notice that any new property, any new character, Disney owns. But it doesn't matter because they bought the company. 
<laughs> right. So no, I mean, they, they own the whole the whole bag. They yeah. Own, they own the, the entire bag. And so it's just like you have to think. And, and this is another thing that comes into play. Individuals say, well, it's your first property. You need to take that L just to get on a board. That's true. And I say this to creators that want to create and they want to go out and they want to create that multimedia franchise and everything like that. Do not, do not, do, do not have your first project that you want to, that's going to be your quote-unquote sacrifice. I suggest do not make it something that is based on your entire life because then it becomes too personal for you to sell it. That's all I say. Do something that's dope, that's phenomenal. However, it's not tied to, you, to your entire being. That's when it just oh. becomes a situation where you just can't sign that paper, you know? Well, that's so, true. You don't, you don't want to sell your life to somebody else unless either, A, they give you such an embarrassing amount of money you'd be a fool not to, or, B, to, to end up wanting to have, you know, the rights and, and privileges of what you went through to get where you are be owned by somebody else. And, and yeah. this, this comes back to something that I always discuss with people, especially younger people, you know, a lot of people will not retain a lawyer, okay? Uh-huh. You know, they, they think that it's too expensive or they can they can get away with not having one or, or you know, they'll sit around and go, you know, I'm smart. I can handle this. These people, these people have nothing on me. The, the entire industry runs on, on the law, runs on contracts. And if you don't protect yourself by getting good representation, you essentially get what you deserve because, you know. Yes, yes. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But there's two sides to that equation because I've been on, I've, I've dealt with that. Everybody needs to realize that, yes, you need, to, you need to retain a lawyer. You must retain a lawyer. But at the same time, you better study. You better study contracts yourself. You need to know everything that you can. Because you can have a partner at a, at a well-known law firm, and they can still mess your deal up. And I'm going to just say this. I, my, books are, my books are published by Simon & Schuster. I got a major six-figure deal. I'm not, I got that deal on my own. I didn't have an agent. I've never had a literary agent. I've had a film agent. But my point mm-hmm. is, is that had I signed the deal that was in front of me, that was presented to me by my very, very, very well-known lawyer, I would have signed away my audio book rights when I had a contract on the table with Random House for. I had a contract on the table with Random House paying me money for my rights. I would have sold my rights to my audio, my audio rights to Simon & Schuster, and I would have sold my trademark. I would mm-hmm. have owned the name Marvelous World. My point is, is that because I knew contracts, I got rid of my lawyer and negotiated my contract and retained all my rights. So you need to be on top of that. So I started with a lawyer and then did the contract on my own, and that's why I own my rights. And um, what is it? I should have hired another lawyer. I mean, most much love to my lawyer and everything like that. I did make peace with her. I mean, but the point is, is that had I signed that contract, I wouldn't even own the name all as well. You understand? So don't... Sure. Put all your faith into an attorney. Don't do it. Don't do your contract without an attorney, but make sure you know what you're reading when they give you that contract, and do not let them tell you. Well, this goes back to what we said before. Do not let an attorney tell you that they're not going to give you this if you don't ask for it. 
You understand? Now, I know that's kind of contradictory to what I said, but um, you have to have an attorney that on certain things they can ask, they will ask you for it. Don't have them automatically assume, I'm not even going to ask for that. That doesn't even make sense. You know, like, because I could ask for, um, two, I could ask for two million dollars in negotiation, but that would be, um, depending on what the deal is, that may be a re- really ridiculous request and unreasonable, right? But what I wanted wasn't unreasonable, and she didn't ask for it. That's what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You need to read, and there's very small books, very small books. They're not even big. They're not even full size. They're very. The one I have is like contract law, negotiating a publishing contract or whatever like that. I, you just got to read that little book. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it offhand, but that will really get you straight. So it goes both ways. Now, some film deal. Well, most thing, the most important thing about a film deal, you, you're going to sell your rights more, more, more nine times out of ten, is you need to know net or gross. You're either going to get net profits or from gross profits. You need to go for gross, not net. That's the most important thing. Outside of rights, that's the most important thing you need to know and, and what, your, what your points are going to be on merchandising. Everything other than that, you're really not getting no leeway with. I mean, well, let me war- let me just warn everybody out there. Let me just warn everybody out there. If if you're in a net, you know, contract to be paid, uh, remember Hollywood accounting proves that there hasn't been a single movie out there that's ever made a nickel, so that they don't have to pay you any net contracts. Yes, and and that's. And that's something that's something a lot of people don't know. The other thing that I would say about ninety percent of the people who get into a negotiation with um, either a publisher or or a production company or whomever, you know, they tend to treat their contracts like the terms of service for their i you know their their uh, what is it their Apple uh, Store contract you know when they click on it on their uh, on their screen. And and you know this is this is how people make a lot of money. They make a lot of money off of other people's mistakes. Mm-hmm. Are you moving your whole house right now? No, I'm sorry. You hear stuff in the background? No, I'm sorry. Oh man, sound like you were whooping somebody's ass. If that was the case, oh. I was going to let it go. Um, anyway, no. but okay. So let's let's go back. Let's go back to your initial creative. Um, uh, uh, your the 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 thing that sparked your creativity. You said the first book was very, very easy for you to do. And and when you talk about that, when you looked at doing that book, uh, I read that you couldn't find a publisher. And so... Uh, nobody would publish all this world. Yeah. And, and so talk about the steps that you took to ensure your, your intellectual property to get your first book out there because a lot of people have to self-publish at the beginning because there's there's a catch-22 that that uh, agents really, they get pissed off when I mention it to them, but it is true that you can't get a publisher without an agent and you can't get an agent unless you've already published. So, so when you went to, to self-publish your first book, Walk us through the process of, A, you know, how you protected yourself to make sure that what you published you retained, and, B, you know, how hard or easy was it for you to do that? Um, it was easy. It was easy for me the first time. I was on fire. Uh, okay. Everything is about narratives. If you want to do anything, you need a narrative. 
my narrative was I published my book. I published the book that everybody called the Black Harry Potter. That guy that got mm-hmm. detention. I got a deal. It was that simple. Um, I had to have the capital to publish my book. I'm all about imagery, so my cover was really well done. I got one of the most, the best digital artists to do it. To this day, he's one of the illest. Um, I paid for that, and that cost me a grip. Um, sure. I hired Bad Boy Street Team to um, promote my book at the Harlem Book Fair. Um, after that, I was like, I made so much money that day, I was like chilling. I was like, oh, my gosh, because I had my book you know, published. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. so I sold it. Nobody had seen anything like that. So shut the game down with that. And I was like, okay, cool. And honestly, my success at that point kind of got me a little complacent. So I didn't do anything for a good while. I was chilling. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was chilling. <laughs> so then at that point, I was like, okay, cool. I need to do get a deal. Somebody's. See, what people have to understand is, like, even with this, even even what I see now, it's like, um, you can't tell anybody how dope you are. You must um, have somebody else say you're dope. Somebody else has to That's say true. Right, because serious. there's a whole lot of people out there self-promoting and saying all kinds of crazy stuff about what they have, what they do, and everything else. And, and, you know, to believe that stuff, that's like the greatest works of fiction in literature or the greatest works of fiction in, in our society today are resumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and also it goes back to what Jay-Z said. We don't believe you. We, you need more people. Um, so I got, I got Eyewitness News to be my surrogate. I got on ABC News, I, I, ABC Eyewitness News. I had a six-figure book deal that same day. Same day. Boom. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. Um, so basically, but you're not getting any publicity. You're not doing anything without a story. You need a narrative. I mean, your own narrative that makes your story relevant to the media. Sure. So, but, but media has changed since then. There's social media. Social media can be your surrogate if you know mm-hmm. how to manipulate it properly. That's all. So you don't need the news media per se. You can have something go viral. Um, so basically, yeah, that's, that's the story. That's how I did it. And, and so how do you employ, you know, give people a, li- an, a little idea of how you employ social media, you know, to your benefit? I don't at this moment. You don't um, at all? No, not really, no. Because um, I've, no, I, I took a considerable amount of time away from um, writing. I was doing other things. So in that time, like, I didn't really build my social media presence. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, yeah, I got this, this, that, and third. Like, I have things out there through my, through, through my new book, but I haven't, like, moved to capitalize on that in a very notable way as of yet. That's coming at the top of the next year. But as of right now, I'm not even lying to anybody. My social media presence isn't on that great. But um, what is it? Because, like I said, I took a considerable amount of time because I was working on a school program. I was doing, I was like, I had lectured at Harvard a few times. I, had, I was doing 
I had got on this whole education little kick to change the way kids were learning. So I kind of pushed like my writing career to the side. Um, sure. So I did that. And so now I'm going back to the writing, you know. So now I've got horribly marvelous, and I'm, I'm doing that. But I, the push for that comes, like, really soon. Um, but I can't, I, I, I can't at this point give – I understand social media, and it – and everything that I said before is the same. It goes the same for social media. You need a surrogate. You need to find individuals on social media. That's, that's all social media is. Social media has to be social. It's not hard to understand social media. It's just a matter of what is my brand, what is my message, what is the content that individuals will cling to so that they will want to share this with their friends. That's what it is. What do I have that's interesting? Is it a story? Is it an images? Because you don't need images, which was, um, was exemplified by that woman earlier this year when she told the story about her stripper friend and how they went to Miami or Florida or someplace, and that whole story was done on Twitter line for line, and then it just blew up. Um, that was just words. There were no pictures. Well, actually, mm-hmm. I think it may have been one picture that she had to say that. I don't know. But it's all about what is your content, right? And who is that individual that is going to see it that can be a potential influencer? And then because that person is an influencer, someone else will see it, and they'll be like, no matter what that content is, because it's influencer put in front of certain people, it deemed it, they deemed it relevant. And you could pay someone to do that. They deemed it relevant to the point where other people will have to take notice. That's why Kim Kardashian is so popular. That's why you see on Instagram, you see all these women with these, these, these whack-ass, no, I take that back, these women with these tees. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You no, see I know all what these you mean. women on Instagram and they had these tees, I'm like, no. Like that, and, and they flooded it with that because, right, really, that's the main promotion that you see. You see these, these gorgeous women on Instagram with tees. Somebody reached out to them, that slim tummy tea or whatever it is. I take it back. I don't know anything about that tea. I should not have them spoken, called it whack. That was, just, that was whack of me to say that because I don't know anything about that tea. But the point is, is that I, don't, I, would assume, I would assume that somebody came to them and they said, hey, you have a million followers. You're a gorgeous woman. woman. Would you try our tea? Would you try our product? And then if you like it, we will pay you to do this, that, and the third. I'm assuming. I don't know. I just know how um, social media works. If that is the case, that's what's happening. So those women are becoming surrogates for that tea. Not surrogates. Um, no, not surrogates. What's the word? I said the word earlier. Um, uh, Proselytizers. Yeah, well, yeah. You could say evangelists. Um, yeah, like Microsoft was Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, it, the, the fact is that that of late, I would say, especially within the last half generation, the last ten, twenty years, we we have an industry in America of people being famous for just being famous, mm-hmm. and and a lot of products can jump onto that. I mean, first of all. Hello? First of all, yeah, no, I was just listening to whatever you were doing. Um, first of all, when you take a look at your, you know, that that uh, that catchphrase, you know, the black Harry Potter, 
That's very uh, compelling. That's very powerful. That's a great um, advertising phrase, marketing phrase, um, branding phrase, because it's so easy to understand. And, you know, people naturally, um, you know, piggyback their mind on how successful Harry Potter is. So, so yeah. you, 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 you know, you busted out on that very, very I, well. And I did. Well, let me just, let me just say this. Like, I wanted to take a step back to the to the, to the Black Harry Potter thing. I didn't coin that phrase. Someone else did, and um, I just got lucky that they did. Cause I didn't. Say no, no, no. I'm not saying yeah. you did it. I'm just saying, but to to have been characterized as that was brilliant. And 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 probably garnered a lot more attention than had you gone with a different. Somebody had said something else, like, "Oh, oh no, he's, I don't a think... great, he's a great." Go ahead. Uh, so, no, I, I would not have. I would not. I don't believe I would have had the, that that success at that point in time if if it was if the phrase was not coined the Black Harry Potter by um, Trevor Baldwin. That's my boy. I just spoke to him earlier this week. He coined that phrase. I did not. Um, and um, I would not have had the success that I had. Now, mind you, that's another thing people need to really, really be mindful of is what did cause your success? You know, I know what caused my success. It was a total uniqueness, a unique quality to my book. It was a black Harry. It was called the Black Harry Potter. Marvel's World is Sure. Good. Yes. But sure. That phrase caught people. That become that became part of my narrative. It was very it just stood out as part of my narrative. Now, if you go along and you do not attribute your success to something such as that when that was the case, you're gonna lose. And a lot because I know a lot of people will put themselves in situations, well, no, I would have been successful without the phrase black Harry Potter or this, that, and the third, because my book was this, that, and the third. Nobody would have cared about my book if there wasn't that phrase. It wouldn't have bubbled to the top of the media cycle if there was that that phrase of Black Harry Potter. You understand? Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. that that I, I got this new um I have this new book Harvey Marvelous where it the Marvelous World Harvey Marvelous where it's um it's saying what Cindy Victoria Chase says never let hate cause irrational blindness. This is not hate. There's a lot of things that can cause you to be blind to what is actually going on, and we see that what's going on right now, you know, in the political sphere. It's not blindness. It's chosen to be blind. But it's like you always must attribute your success to something that you may not, may not even be part of your actual creative process. It may not even be your product, you know, because Black mm-hmm. Harry Potter is not, is not the quality. It doesn't say anything about the quality of Marvel's wealth. That's what I'm saying. Well, if if you're being compared favorably to something that's successful, that's not bad. You know, obviously that's not bad. Well, I did um, suffer okay. a lot of racism because of that phrase. There was a lot of racism that was thrown at me because of that. Well, you, look, we live in a damn stupid-ass country, okay? Look who this country elected for the next president. And, and you know, the, the disappointing thing that people don't remember is that the bell-shaped curve of IQ distribution has two halves to it. One Um, half is above normal, the center is top dead center is average, and the other half is subnormal in in terms of IQ. And and 
Well, you're going to you're going to run into you're going to run into detractors. You're going to run into what we call haters. You're going to run into that because there's a whole lot of people out there who can't stand to see someone else succeed. Um, yes. So and that is not and that's and that's not tied to race. And what we also must realize is that remember what I was talking about since I had mentioned, I, I believe I had mentioned being empathetic for certain things, but um, I don't mean it just to jump you know topics here, but. When we say, like, okay, I've experienced racism and look what's going on in this country and everything, it just, mm-hmm. I had to really take pause to why did that happen? And, and to see, the thing is, is that people who are not people of color, a lot of them are not empathetic to people of color and what's going on with us, especially when we see when there are grave ills committed against us and it's on videotape and the person who committed the act is set free. My point is, is that when, when we feel that we are being victimized, right, we never try to pause and take a look at and, be, and have empathy for the person who hates us. Not to say that we give them a pass and put yourself in a mindset of, why would someone vote for an individual like Trump and really just try to understand that? And, and see, understanding that and being able to put yourself into different mindsets and everything like that is how you become a really good writer. You understand what I'm saying? I know this sounds like I'm going off on a tangent, but a lot of stuff that made me have to really refocus and think about my writing, especially with my new series, was the fact that could I understand the mindset of someone who voted for Trump? And if you can put yourself in that mind, you will be able to write any type of character, no matter what their, their gender is, no matter what their race is, no matter um, what, their, um, what, their, what their social and economic classes or whatever, that's what it takes to be a good writer. And so just dealing with this Trump, with what happened with Trump has really made me just, it made me grow as a writer to have a different understanding, to be able to put my mind, to force myself to try to understand that. And I know that's something we're talking about, but that was a really big thing for my writing. No, but that's, that's actually interesting, Troy. Um, what, what has looking at where this country is now politically how, how is that reflected in your writing now in terms of empathy, oh. in terms of character development, in, you know, in terms of how, how what's going on in the country um, makes you a better storyteller? Well, that's, that'll really come through in, in Marvel's World, MPG, which comes out next. That is a situation where I had, I had to think about, okay, if you have a Trump character, what is your ideology? You understand? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the true ideology behind Trump because that right there, that is, that is, to me, that's fault. That's not even real. We never dealt with the true ideology of Donald Trump when we were watching his campaign. You understand? Mm-hmm. Because as, 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 as just a regular just individual watching that, and you knew. And a lot of his people, the people who voted for him, and they did a town hall on, um, I think it was MSNBC with Bernie Sanders and Trump. They were in Wisconsin, I do believe. It's called Bernie and, and Trump land, or, or Trump, Trump country or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And the person said, I didn't believe that Trump was going to do this, this, that, and the third when he said it. And then Bernie Sanders said, then you just you just basically confess that you voted for a liar, that someone you knew was a liar. And so mm-hmm. my point in that being is the fact that when someone is constantly lying, 
about I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and not even your supporters believe you when you say that, you're not dealing with the true ideology of a person. You're dealing with a, 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 with a mirage. You understand what I'm saying? And they even said it. He was saying, they, the supporters said it. He was saying those things because he knew that they were going to get pressed, they're going to get this, that, and the third, right? So if you're saying that, you're portraying a character, right? What are you really thinking? You know what I'm saying? Because there are, because I believe everything that came out of Bernie Sanders' mouth. And, and, and he had that quality about him, you know? Like, I, sure. I'm not, I, was not, I, was, I was not a Bernie Sanders supporter, but I believe Bernie Sanders. I believe that mm-hmm. that man truly, truly believed that this country could be better, and, that was, and he wanted to be the person to make it better. I believed everything that came out of his mouth. I didn't agree with it, but I believed it. And I think that he is an amazing, wonderful person. I believe that about him. I don't believe Trump. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, now you was talking a whole bunch of crap that you don't even believe, right? And so now you got to back it up. What you going to do now? You know? So my point is that how do you deal with that as a writer, you know? Because you can have the person have dialogue with themselves and being in total conflict with themselves, being that I'm out mm-hmm. here as a politician saying whatever I want, but I really believe this. Trump, if I'm not mistaken, was a Democrat. Yes, he was. So my point is, and honestly, I've always had this conversation. I was never really a fan of Donald Trump, but I did not, did not, I didn't like not like him. I just wasn't like, oh my God, Donald Trump. I always respected him for the way that I perceived him to have raised his children. I always judged him by that. I've, um, I've oh man, I am so sorry. Wait, wait, I am so sorry to be the first person to tell you. He didn't raise his kids. Okay. All right. Let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to backtrack. I'm not, I'm not going to backtrack on this. No, no, no. I know. I know. And, and, I'm, saying, and I'm, what I'm, saying I'm 50% what I'm saying joking you. Go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. My point is, is that regardless of if he had nannies, which I'm sure he did and everything like that, right? Whatever had right. happened, right? You never saw them in trouble. What were they associated with? Their father's business. Were they ever, were they ever, ever caught out there in the media um, on Front Street? I'm sure they Yeah, misbehaving, misbehaving badly like other people. Exactly. That's what I judged him on until he ran for president. That was the only okay. thing. I didn't know about the Central Park stuff and everything like that until that came up. I didn't know about those things. You know what I'm saying? I didn't yeah. know the history of his father. I didn't know that. I judged him on yeah. the fact that when I saw Ivanka, she was chilling. You understand what I'm saying? Like, hey, how you oh, yeah. doing? Hey, I kept it moving. I didn't try to mess with her or anything like that. She was very pleasant. That's what I judged him on. Like, you know, everybody wants to say this, that, and a third about Puffy, right? I mean, I mean, Diddy. You know what I'm saying? So my point yeah. is, is that I was at the Red Man. No, not, oh, my God, Red Man. I was at the JC and Eminem Comp. Well, how did I put Red Man? Anyway, so I was at the um, Jay-Z and Eminem concert at um, – at the Yankee Stadium, right? Puff was with his, I mean, Diddy was with his entourage, right? And mm-hmm. he stopped to, well, my, my, um, my, my nephew's father, like my best friend, right? He st- said to Puff, he said, yo, can uh, my son get a picture with you? Now, I've heard Puff is a jerk, Puff is a sister. I know people who work for Puff. 
I know people who mm-hmm. see him, who saw him every day. I hired his street team. I was up at Bad Boy like two times a week for some weeks, right? My point is, is that Paul Vitti said, yo, sure. He, uh, he lit up. Some random person asked him for a, a picture with this son. He lit up, stopped, came over to my little nephew, put his arm around him, right, and posed with a picture, gave him a pound, right, hey, how you doing, man? And it seemed so genuine. So that one thing is what I judge Puff on, not by everything else I hear about him. I judge him on that. You know what I'm saying? And that was the same, that was the same thing that I took away from Donald Trump. You know, I didn't meet him. I judge him on that. That's the thing is that how do you have these little tiny moments, right? How do you fold these things into the story where someone can seem like a total ass but give them the complexity to do what Puff did for my little nephew. That's how you build layers on the characters, right? And they say, like, even to this day, even though his son has been on some BS, right, Ivanka has really not strayed. She hasn't come out of her face to say anything foul to my that I remember. You know what I'm saying? So I still hold on to that a little bit, that there is some good there because his daughter would be on some foul stuff just like his son has done before. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you take all of these things that I've been seeing through Trump and everything, and you fold them and you create these complex characters that are not black or white, they're not evil, they're not bad. And, I mean, that's just good writing, but it just made me pay attention to what are these specific moments that I can put into this story that are genuine, that just make you see the humanity of this character. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, so even let, if you see that so in let movies, me, it just, yeah. So that, let me see if I can sum up. What you're, what you're saying, essentially, if I can boil it down, is that what you do is you, you take a look at the archetypes of actual existing people, and, uh, and, you, look at the, and you look at the complexities of their characters, and, and sometimes even the things that, that people normally wouldn't look at or even things that don't make sense, and you, you take those kinds of observations and use them in your stories for creating your characters or creating the situations that you put in, in your own writing, correct? Yes, and, like, just knowing what those milestones are. Like, for me, I always looked at the way Trump's kids came on. Always, for, for Diddy, I always looked at the way he, he treated my nephew, right? Now you have a whole litany of things that contradict that. But you know that that's the reality, that that really happened. These people are out there, and this is the way they represent yourself, so they become true amidst all this whackness, like, nobody knows anything to, I've never heard anything good about Hitler. You know what I'm saying? But they had, not to say there was anything good about him, maybe he had a dog that he treated very well. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You know? No, I, like, I, dude, <laughs> I, I totally understand, you know, I understand creating nuance. I mean, that's what, we, that's what, that's what makes our characters believable. Is, is creating nuance and giving them depth. Um, and, and one day uh, on this show, I will tell everybody a story about uh, me and R. Kelly over at Tavern on Rush downtown, or on the north side of Chicago. Um, but given, given your stories, and it sounds like they're, they're kind of, they're, it sounds like they're concentrated as young adult stories. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, so... Um, when you started writing, you, it sounds like you wanted to connect with younger kids. What, what do you think? Maybe preteen, 
Is that too young, or, oh, or well, what? What's your target age group? I, I know, obviously, you know, people older and younger can read them, but when you write, who, who, you know, where is your voice going to? You know, are you are you trying to catch up with? Well, like with preteens. I. That's very, that's very, very, very precarious right now, because I released the last Marvel's World book. And like okay. no, the last full there's been five months world books. Like there's Yellow Armada and all these other ones, right? But the full length, the last full length book was in like mm-hmm. two thousand and nine, right? Mm-hmm. That was almost seven years ago. But there have been one just came out like last month. But um before that, my books have been how do I say they had they have been a, not young but I didn't push anything with the books. I didn't push, like, maturity issues and anything like that, right? My my books were yep. more cerebral in the fact that they were complex because they were based on the philosophy of Monty McCart, David Hume, George Berkeley, and Rousseau and things like that. But that's not content-wise as far as, like, sex, murder, or anything like that. So yeah. then at somewhere during that period, I was exposed to His Dark Materials um, by Philip okay. Pullman. And I was like, oh, this is ill. I was like, this is ill. Like, they got this going on. They got this going on. They try to kill God, this, that, and the third or whatever. And I was like, that's a lot like my story because it does deal with that, that context. But he dealt with it in a different way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it was more mature. Like, a lot of his characters, even though there was Lyra, he had, you know, adults. Like, I didn't have adults in the first book being, like, main characters. So... Um, then after my first book came out, I read Gossip Girl. That blew my mind because the first chapter, the amount of sex that was in that book, I was like, this is for teenagers? I mean, you can do this? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I hadn't really read young adult novels beyond, like, um, like some Clive Barker, even though Clive Barker was a um, horror, he, he writes adult books. He wrote one called The Thief of Always, which I love. I was um, always, like, this... Um, a Wrinkle in Time, she's being remade as a movie. I was in The Prince Caspian, yeah. which had the religious themes in it, Lord of the Rings, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. But the Gossip Girl for sex, and I was like, that's for, like, teenagers? It blew my mind. I say that story to say this. My new book is about, my new Marvel's World book is about a teenage girl, 16. Okay. That had sex. It had language in it. It had everything. It was a regular young adult novel. There was nothing that was, you know, overly explicit or anything like that. But it was nothing that anybody would expect in a Marvel's World book, even the other one. Sure. I mean, it's crazy. So right. what happened was was that I didn't feel comfortable putting that out there. So I took, I edited, I edited the curses out, and I um, took the specific lines about sex and everything like that, I took it out. Like, it's still there, but the really explicit stuff that was there, it's, it's not right. in the novel anymore. Because I, as myself, knowing who my original audience was so many years ago, even though they're older, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. But it will be, but it will be out in the, um, in the, in the version that comes out next year. Um, okay. But... What I'm saying, what I'm saying is the fact that when you skate, I, I I didn't feel comfortable making that leap. I just wasn't ready to do it at this point. So even though the story is violent, the sex is gone. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the actual and, talking and, and, about it. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's obviously a decision like that has to be made by an author when when they want to, you know, when they want to stake out the territory where, where you know, where where their books want where they want their books to inhabit. You know, you don't you don't see any kind of explicit sex in the Harry Potter books, not, and I'm not saying that compared to you, but she uh-huh. obviously, uh, J.K. Rowling obviously decided, you know, where she wanted, you know, what her target audience was. So that's what I was asking about you, um, because it, when when you get compared favorably like that, you know, you I think that if you want to capture that audience, obviously there are certain things you can do. My first book has a sex scene in it, so it's mm-hmm. probably not going to be, you know, you're not going to see it as, you know, regular high school fair unless I mm-hmm. go in and make an addition, you know, make an addition that takes that out. And so that will have to be a decision that I have to face maybe with the second edition. Do I want it to be more widely read, you know, for young adults, or do I want to just keep it as, as a, you know, kind of an hey, adult-like hey, hey, you're, you're fine. It's just you're fine with the sex for young adults. It's just how explicit it is, right? But yeah, um, the thing, the thing is, is that you're talking about middle grade. Young adult is insane. It's insane. You just talking about double blowjobs and all types of stuff like that. Like it's it's crazy. Like it's it's not like. But see, the thing is, is I have to be careful because right. I'm an author of color, meaning that. What is okay for the other people, if I put a book out, it's not going to be okay for me to say X, Y, and Z in a young adult novel. Um, and, Correct. Um, and, and, you, and that's the thing is you got to learn how to pick your battles and when to pick them. That's why I say it's not in there now, but it will be in there later. It's just the fact that mm-hmm. because of what's going on now, it's like I'm not trying to fight that battle because right. who don't know the characters and everything like that. I'm not trying to fight that battle. I'm not, I'm not um, going to – I'm not – sacrificing my integ- my um, artistic integrity with the point because we get we're thinking about it like this is like I took I took the use out of the F words, right? The words are sure. I took the use out sure. and I took right. two um I took like two sentences out about penetration. Okay. That was about it. You know what I'm saying? The rest of the book I didn't take any of the violence out. Like people are getting decapitated, all types of stuff, and I was like, they just gonna have to deal with that. But I took—that's what I took out, you know. Um, well, yeah, no, no, no. And and then, given given those little changes that you made, let me ask you this: before you made the changes, did you have any feedback about that? And after the changes, did you know? Was it something that people did consciously comment on? Oh uh, no, it, that wasn't—it wasn't really. I didn't. It wasn't about someone saying it was good or bad. It was about me personally saying um, this book is very, 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 very unique. Sure. Um, and I'm not going to say why it is at this point, but the book is very unique. And I knew what I was doing. And it's the same way that you, like, I knew that the black Harry Potter was something, right? I knew that right. we living in this really racist situation right now, right? I knew that that's not a battle that I wanted to go into Right at this moment, I wanted to be about the art, the work, and I was not going to let individuals detract from my art and my focus and me being successful by saying X, Y, and Z. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning that I was going to be smarter than them because I saw what happened the first time and how they 
I mean, I, I saw what happened before. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, wh- what's my battle this time, right? What is my mm-hmm. objective? Am I going to let them do X, Y, and Z to me, right? No, I'm not going to let you do that. And that, but I was like, okay, but I will, I will take that battle up with you, but Simon Schuster is going to do that with you. You understand know what I'm saying? So it was, sure. that's, what, that's what it really came down to. I'm like, nah, you're going you gonna, to you gonna focus on my art right now. You're going to talk about if this is a good or a bad book. I'm not going to give you the fuel to say this, that, and the third, which, because you have to think, if that does happen, that's publicity on my book, but it's the wrong type of publicity. You know what I'm saying? Which will regardless fuel myself. So I, this is going to sound crazy. It's going to sound really crazy. It's going to sound like it's, it's off topic. But remember when Kanye West took that picture with um, Donald Trump, right? And um, what is it? And, you, and Donald Trump was supposed to make the press conference about if he was going to invest, divest in his businesses, divest his businesses mm-hmm. and get out of his businesses. Nobody, he moved the entire conversation away from that because he took that picture with Kanye West. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not going to allow you to bring the conversation <laughs> in and have my entire story, like, you bloom this up out of nowhere. You want to talk about the fact that my book is dope and X, Y, and Z happened. I'm not going to give you that, that opportunity, not at this point. Yeah. That's all that was about. Yeah, that, it wasn't about me selling out anything like that. It was like, I'm overstanding what you want to do to me. You know what I'm saying? So you want to have to come at me some different way. You're not going to make it out of that. That's all that was. Yes. That is called not being distracted by the shiny object over here. Okay, that's all it's called. It's like you want to focus on my work. And and one sentence about somebody getting smashed out or whatever is not going to, you're not going to do that. You're not going to catch me on that. Right. Everything else is in there. (laughs) You know, what's just that. No, but that's that's good that it, it, it shows that you're consciously thinking about exactly how you're going to be perceived um, and, and, you know, it's something that not everybody does. So having that yeah. awareness makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, not, um, and I'm not making this, what you're saying, I'm not making this about race, but I understand that for somebody else to do that, it wouldn't even be a bump on a needle. But for me, it's different. And I was told this by certain individuals. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't, what I'm saying is the fact that after I had done it, I had mentioned it, I was like, oh, you're right. You, you would have caught it for that. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, sure. That's it. Next question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Hang on. Uh, you're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. Uh, tonight's special guest is Troy CLE. For those of you who are in the chat room, you already saw the link to his work. For those of you who want to take a look at what uh, the selections he has um, already published, just go and do a search on Amazon for Troy and then capital C, capital L, capital E. Um, yeah, I guess that's the easiest way that you can find it. Um, uh-huh. I, I have. Um, have you ever collaborated with anyone on any of in, on any of your work, or is this all from your own fertile mind? Ah, uh, no, nah, this is all me. This is all me. I don't. Nobody else is writing more of this work. No ever. Now, not now, unless I become what's his name? Um, James Patterson. James Patterson. James Patterson has other people write his book. No, at this point oh, in time, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all marvelous world, isn't it? Yeah, Robert Ludlum did the same thing. He died and kept putting books out. Um, so, of course, people always claim to see Tupac in different places, too. So I don't, I don't understand how all that metaphysical crap goes on. Um, okay, so what's, what do you think is the total arc of, of the marvelous world? How many volumes do you think you're going to be able to get out of it? Um, and then do you have... 
Um, yeah, let me ask you that. How many how many volumes do you think this is going to going to play out into? Um. Okay. All right. I know that number. Okay. 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 All right, and I didn't I didn't ask you to put you on the spot. I was just curious, you know, what your arc was going to be. I think there's eleven books. Eleven books. Eleven books. Okay. Be, no, not I'm not. Yeah, there's gonna be eleven books. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, Marvel's world is about this. Um, it comes down to the concept that I don't I don't particularly believe in good or evil, as far as God is concerned. Um, I just believe that. The concept of God is omnipotent, therefore mm-hmm. good and evil is such a petty concept to God that it's, it's irrelevant. So in my God, so in my book, God is Olivian and God takes the form of a woman. And God is only fearful of one thing. God fears one thing. That's it, right? It's not a good, it is this thing is not good or it's not evil, right? And it just comes to the point where it's like, okay. <laughs> it's, very, it's very simple. You're the most heinous, vindictive, evil person on the planet. You're the most generous, as opposed to the most generous, kind, gracious, beautiful person on the planet, right? Okay. You both have a common threat in the destruction of this planet. Does it matter if you're good? Does it matter if you're evil at that point in time? Your common enemy is the fact that your planet is going to die. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whereas, so does good and evil really matter at that point in time? Does this threat, is this threat going to matter to good or evil? It's not going to matter. And that was, that, was, that was what I was creating with the concept of God. That's why you have the Enola and the Ilone, and they both, they both are favorites. They are both chosen by the Olivian to, to um, go out and destroy this, this um, threat that's as powerful as God. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it's basically about. And, I, I, and, and, that is, and and that is by no means a unique story, but the way I did it is a little bit unique, you know. And like I said, it's based on the – that is basically the entire story arc from start to finish. Okay. That's what it's about. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and, then, and then since you already have kind of like an end point in mind for that, what uh, do you have other creative universes that you're going to be populating and writing about and publishing? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got, I got my, I got. Oh, I got multiple stuff. I got multiple stuff. Multiple. Just. I you you, you want to give us? Yeah, nah. give us a little idea um, so, about you know some of the. Uh, well, I, I mean, one. don't give everything away. You know. <laughs> no, nah, it's. I got. I got one about. Um, one is about about quantum technology. I have one that's about actually it's, it's about rain. And that's all I'm gonna say. It's rain, and that's my illest joint. <laughs> that's the illest one. It's about rain. Mm-hmm. Um, R A I N. Rain is a very specific thing in this book. Um, okay. I have one that's about being existing, but people don't know who you are. And that's just very, very, very light on that. But that story is just some old next. Um, that's it's, it's, it's some next stuff. Like the name of that character is Ill, what he has to do. And all of this is Marvelous World. I got this one that's about that was going to be a non-Marvelous World story, but it is because it's going to tie into the Alanis Academy, which is in Harvey Marvelous. So, right. um, what is it? 
that that was that's ill. And I think that'll be three books and that that deals with that's this whole anti hero type thing. This is an anti hero uh-huh. very, very very popular. Um uh, yeah, that the whole thing is, is is that uh you're going to see a lot of anti heroes in aside from those these alternate properties or these, these separate properties, you're gonna be seeing a lot of anti hero stuff in in Marvelous World. You're gonna see characters have their own series because right now it's hardly marvelous marvelous world is out um yes everybody that's listening go to horriblymarvelous.com you have to forgive me the sites have not been merged at this point but if you go to horriblymarvelous.com you'll see the new book you'll see the new everything my company that's another thing that i did i took time off i created my own company that will be producing and will be one of the producers of the of the Mars World Universe as it stretches out into different prop media. But sure. um, my company, we did the trailer, we did all that type of stuff. We created a website because the Marvelous World website is like you know, it's like whatever. Harvey Marvelous website. That's that's what has that's a little bit better. And everybody needs to just understand that we're doing something a little different. Harvey Marvelous it has its own soundtrack. If you hear the music, that's to the trailer. That's original music. If you go to the bottom and you listen to the entry from the um, when Cindy is talking, that's original music. It's produced for Marvel's World. Like I have a whole thing that's coming out. It's going to be really, really, really hot. Even though the book is out right now, you can um, what is it? It's the first part of the book, and you can just see the direction that I'm going in. And when Marvel's World proper comes back out with Marvelous World Part 3, that's going to be insane. This is the precursor to that. Everything is coming back. Mm-hmm. Marvelous World Book 1, 2, 1 and 2, the, the novellas are coming back, and Marvelous World 3 is going to drop. But before, just, it's, it's, it's coming. And HarleyMarvelous.com is going to give you a taste of how the new Marvelous World is going to be. Um, what is it? Yeah, so basically that's where that is now. Oh, and also I don't know who's um, out there. If if you pick the book up, Harvey Marvelous, um, it's how do I explain this? The release of that book, it's it's the book, but it's um it's part of an experiment. It's part of basically a social experiment. You have to read the book, well, you can read the book, and you have to see what's going to come later. As I was saying, I had to pick my battles about this, that, and the third. It's all tied up into that, as into what will come at around um, the end of January and into February, when everything really gets to push. As I said, I don't have, like, I'm not really heavy on social media. I will be heavy on social media in the months come up. And it's going to be a a whole thing where it's a social experiment, basically. You'll see. And you'll see what I mean. So if you pick the book up, I made the book 99 cents, so anybody wants to pick it up, they can do that right now. You can check it out. Harvey Marvelous is some old different stuff. Cindy Victoria Chase is my heart. She um, It's a really ill story. She's a really ill character. At this point, she's more developed than um, Lewis Proof. But my point is, is that everything is coming back. I will have my new series. Marvel's World has a big, massive story arc that has multiple characters, multiple, multiple alternate stories, and how everything is going to converge in the main Marvel's World series, which is 
Marvelous World and Fentium, um, and all that stuff is coming back. But you can get the books now, but um, it's all coming back, and it's going to be remixed pretty soon. Yeah, Very cool. And then, and then, what if you know, you know, if you, if you keep stacking success upon success upon success, what what would happen if uh, a production company revisited you and said, "Hey, um, we would really like to take this to the next level and create a series out of it, or oh, do I'm, movies, or..." Oh no, Go ahead. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. That's that's going to happen. That's going to happen. I have no problem with that. It's just that if you know what everything I'm saying now is that you have Marvelous World, you have Young Armada out, right? You have um, Horribly Marvelous, as you can see. It's its own separate entity that's part of Marvelous World. I'm going to have Young Armada, I mean, um, Marvelous World MPG out, like, in February, right? I think on February 19th or something like that, right? I want to have that out. So it's like when I do that deal, you can't. You have to look at it as a whole, meaning that I see MPG, I see Horribly Marvelous, I see Marvelous World, I see Young Armada, I see it all. It's all right there. So they can't even approach me the same way, you know? And it's just the fact that my responsibility, because people, honestly, like, I don't, I don't mean you know, to go you know, too far to the left, like, like it's not connecting or being cohesive, what I'm saying. But people need, creators need to realize that make your product as tangible and as um, vivid as you can for when it does get picked up. Show them that you have a vision, right? And even if it's just in the meeting, right, plot everything out. I have everything plotted out. I'm sorry I didn't have that in front of me to tell you exactly how many books are there, but I do believe it is 11. But it's like I have everything sure. plotted out. That took years, years for me to do that. And we're talking about from 2009 from when I released the book. I released three other books in between there, but they were novellas. But the point is that it took years to get to that point. It took years for me to write my series out, to get it right. And in sure. between of doing my school project. So I will do that deal. I, I am going to do that deal. And I'm going to be a producer. Not the main producer because I don't have that skill set at this point in time, but I will be a sure. producer so that um, – it's another thing. Make sure you get your producer points. It's another thing. Don't let somebody <laughs> slap you. Don't let, don't let somebody slap you on a project as like a co-executive producer and you can't even sit in a meeting. The only time you sing your own movie is when you um, show up at the, um, at, the, at, the, at the premiere. That's a lot of people. Right. That's a lot of authors, right? right? They don't even get to go to the set. My point is, is that know your property. Let me tell you this. I don't know how it is now, but if you are a creator and you want to go to a place where they respect their creators, I can't say about right now, even though I still have friends that work there, just that I can't, I can't say always like that now because I haven't spoken to anyone about that like recently within the last year or so. But from what I do know and from my friends that are there, Nickelodeon respects their creators. They're not doing much of anything that right now because of things are kind of tight. But the point is Nickelodeon respects their creators. That's why the creators of Avatar were able to come back and do the series, right? And that's why when mm-hmm. Avatar wasn't being successful, they still finished it out of respect for the creators. You understand what I'm saying? 
Nickelodeon has an utmost respect for their creators. They took it off of the air and put it online to give them this third season. I think it was the third season. I think it had three seasons. But my point is, is that Nickelodeon respects their creators, and I will say that to them. So a lot of times you need to understand that it is history before you even step into the studio, right? And it's like you need to find out, well, I know that if I go to the studio, they're not going to give me any type of leeway on anything, you know? where Nickelodeon has established to say that we need you to be part of this process. We're not, at that time, when they were doing, um, you know, Avatar and everything like that, they were not looking for individuals to just, let me just buy your property and run away with it. It's like, no. I have seen that contract. They had to provide the characters, everything. They had to give them a Bible. It was part of their contracts that they could not abandon Nickelodeon so that they had to put this together and complete it themselves. It's really a contract that they had to come with this, that, and the third. You know what I'm saying? I haven't mm-hmm. seen every contract, mm-hmm. but you can do those types of things. And, and I think that's important for individuals to know that. It's like do, the, mm-hmm. do any type of research you can on what might be the best place for you to do a project, you know? Right. Someone in the chat room wants to know how you go about researching, um, you know, for your stories, to support your stories, to support internally, you know, the, the 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 creative universe and things like that. I presume that's what they meant. Um, or does it, or does it all come from your head? It all, it depends. Like, I had this one story about this this, this agent, um, it was a special agent. I had to talk to individuals that were in that field. But when you're dealing with teenagers, and you were a teenager. You have to draw upon that knowledge. Like, my, my, my current character is far removed from me, but I know what it's like to be a teen. Uh, I had to give all my female friends advice, and I was, I mean, I'm not trying to be extra. I was always right. <laughs> I would tell them what the guy would do. And I said, if you do this, he will do this. If you do this, he will do that. It got to the point where... Like, if you, if you go through certain situations in your life, it'll make you empathetic to certain people, you know? So I had something happen to me, and it kind of put me into a mindset of like, oh, wow, this is what it might feel like to be um, this type of person. As I was saying, like, right. have you ever thought about what it feels like to be someone who voted for Trump? And it's like, do you understand why he won, why all these people, women, especially Caucasian women voted for him and they didn't let, they would rather vote for him than Hillary Clinton. You know what I'm saying? It's like you had to put yourself in that mindset. And I had to do that for this character. And so it's just sitting back, looking at your friends, looking at the world itself, looking at, you know, everything you've encountered and then trying to transfer that into your character and then trying to put your mind into someone else's. Just sit there and relax and just think about it. Why did you do this? And come up with your own um, web of, of chains of reactions that why would do where they would do that. You're gonna be right. You're gonna be wrong. Alva said they told me that you know with Harvey Marvelous I was right about certain things. And and honestly, um, this is another thing. Um, now I'm not going to get into. Um, men can write female characters. They do not have to be gay. You know, that, that's not at all the case, right? But you got to think, 
men wrote Sex in the City, and what woman really did not love Sex in the City? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, okay, of course, those guys, I do believe they were gay, right? But they were still men, you know what I'm saying? And um, they were able to write those characters. Um, like the the person who wrote Agent Carter, um, Brandon E. Um, he he's a he's a guy, he's a black guy. He wrote a white female character. I love Agent Carter. You know, how did he do that? I mean, he's a good writer. You know, that's how. Oh, but to give more information, I I would go online. The only thing I researched for Harp for a marvelous world was the locations. I would go and look at like National Geographic and things like that at their pictures, and that just gave me the inspiration for um, the landscapes. Okay, sure. I'm sorry for that long-winded answer, but that's that's what it was. Yeah, you know, it, it, for me, it's it's a little bit simpler. You know, I I write in one screen, and on the other screen, I have the internet open, and if I have to find out something, I go and look at it. In terms of character development. You know, I think if you're if you're a good observer of people around you and you pay attention to how people behave and what their motivations are, it's it's not difficult to at least write plausible characters. Um what makes characters really outstanding I think is the nuance. Um and then the whole issue about writing, you know, men writing women and women writing men, there it's 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 that same arc. There are good writers and there are bad writers. And um, I think the ones who pay attention the most and and really put some thought into, you know, honing their craft are going to come out with the better stories. Now, let me ask you this. When when you did your first story, um, when the first book came out, what kind of feedback did you get from, from people about that first book? Oh, I can only go about my reviews, really. Because, I mean, your fans that contact you are going to contact you and say they love it. And nobody contacted me and said it was whack. Um, I, I mean, I'm okay. talking about my publicity reviews. Because if you talk about, like, reviews online and everything like that, I never really checked that. Um, well, no, I, I did on Amazon because of the second book. Because there was, there was a mistake with the second book. The second book came out, and it wasn't labeled as book two. So if you just saw Horribly Marvelous, I mean Marvelous World, and you picked up the second book and you didn't know it was the second book, chop three and Harry Potter from book three. That's what happened. So it was a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was that is partially my fault. I take responsibility for that. Um, now, what's what I'm trying to say? Um, okay, aside from like the first reaction that I got to the book was the racism. Like that was the first something. Some that was the first time something had uh, people accusing you of racism. Nah, just when they or, said it was a black race, or racist responses to your book. Racist responses to my um, book, like oh, okay. you know, I have gold teeth in the forties, this, that, and the third, or whatever. Like it, I've never. Because you got to understand, like, when Marvel's World came out, that's like when not the internet wasn't new, but we had MySpace, you know? Like, we didn't have Facebook. I don't think we had Facebook. We had MySpace. We had, like, Napster and things like that, right? So 
I was all new to the whole social media thing, right? And so then when I saw things get posted, one specific article about my book, a um, woman who met, I still am in contact with her today. She writes for Fortune now. She is a wonderful woman. Her name is Kelly. Um, she wrote a positive thing about my story. People's comments were calling him the N-word, calling Lewis the N-word, saying he's going to have a gold chain. Like, there was over, like, 200 comments of just fouling. I was like, oh, shoot. Wow. Like, I didn't, it, ended up, it didn't really upset me, but it, they even tried to tear me apart for liking Goonies. They, put, they had this whole thing that was posted saying, what do Goonies not like? We hate Marvelous World. I was like, damn. Trolls, because that's before we had to turn trolls. So that's what I encountered when I first came out. Now, granted, not a single one of those people had read the book, but that's what I saw an influx of when I had, you know, first released the book. Because beyond that, mm-hmm. we're talking about just like from, the, from just people in general, it was positive, you know. But, and that's like when I started doing it, was it in the New York Times and I was on um, – Travis Smiley on PBS and everything like that. But before that is when I got, that was the first response that I got, first response. We're talking, um, when we're talking about when it was put into the larger world. I'm not talking about being in Harlem or anything like that. That's what I'm counting. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, that's, I don't think that's specifically what you were asking for. I think you meant more so when people read the book, right? And I will say that when people read the book, they contacted me saying they loved it. Now, my reviews... I believe were a little bit odd because if you read any fantasy book like the Aragon or um, anything like that, because at the time Aragon was very popular. And even mm-hmm. if you think about Hermione, um, McGonagall, um, what is it? All the names that were in Dumbledore, like all the names that were in Harry Potter and everything, like a reviewer, very well-known publication, one of the biggest reviewers of books, right, uh, they came out and they said the story is weighed, weighed down by esoteric names. Like, they meant out of their way to bring up things that just didn't make sense. The names in my book that, are, um, that could have been considered complicated, Galanius, that's it, Olivian Galanius. Read the first chapter of Aragon and read those names to me. And, you, and they came at me saying that it's weighed down by names. Who says that about a book when the hardest name is Galanias? I didn't understand that. And people came to me and said, nah, that was, that, that's kind of foul that they did that because that made no sense. Like, would you, would you say that about Aragon? No, you wouldn't. Why didn't you say, why, didn't you, why, why did you comment? on how, to, how do you thought that the book was good, this, that, and the third, or whatever, but you said it's, it gets weighed down by the names. Lewis Proof, Brandon Davis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Lacey Proof. So I saw that there was, there was a little bit of a pushback for some reason. I don't know what that was. And another review um, said that it was a basic story about good and evil. And I was like, you don't even get it. Like, it was a situation where it's based on the philosophy of Immanuel Kant and categorical imperative and everything like that, right? It was very complex, but it was written in a way that would be tangible 
if you were 12, if you were even 10 years old and you could read it. It was about, um, um, what is it, imperialism. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was about all these different things. It was about immaterialism. It was about uh, the social contract. It was very complicated, right? But if you read it, you don't know any of that stuff because I wrote it as it was for like, a younger mind. But it was part of an advanced placement class that was built solely around my book because the book is so complex that anyone can understand it. And when after they read it, they've been introduced to all these philosophical concepts and they, they understand them because of the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like rationalism, imperialism, like all these different things. It was, it was really, really, really ill. So I was like, okay, cool. So honestly, that was kind of positive because that that's what I wanted to do. I'm sorry, like that's the only – because you can't go by your fans that contact you and tell you that they love it. So that was the response that I got, you know? I got, for the most part, I got good reviews. So that's all I can say. Alright, you can ask me the you can ask me the next question. I promise to be shorter. No, no, it's okay. I, like I said, this is a conversation, man. You know, this is not this is not straight Q and A. Um, one of the things that oh, I was going to ask you, have, uh, do you have any formal training in writing? Did you take classes in school or anything like that, or or did, did you have any trials by fire by being in a a writers group or anything like that? I have my degree in American literature. I have a degree in um, English. Uh, that's what I majored in in college. I do a double degree. Um, uh-huh. What is it? I was in and I was in AP English. I was in creative writing. Like I, I knew that I was going to be a writer. I've written for like. Did you really? You, yeah. You knew early on. No, like huh? no. Ever since ever since I said I was going to write the book, when I said I was going to come up with the idea, that's when I started focusing on that from that point on. Not before, because uh-huh. I knew it had to be. No, nah, like, um, no, nah, I've, I've, I've done writing, but I never wrote any of my books until it was time to write more of this world. I had no desire to write anything else. I mean, I was writing for public, for um, magazines and stuff like that, right? But that was just here and there. I just saved everything I had for more of this world. Every idea that I had went into that first book based on my life, as I said. I mean, that had everything in it. Goonies, Big, Gremlins, um, Dragon Ball Z, Powerpuff Girls, everything was in that book. I mean, it's, it, Marvel's World has come out so long ago that everything that is in that book is back. Dragon Ball Z is back with a new series. Powerpuff Girls is back with a new series. Um, what else? They always talk about they're going to bring Goonies back. <laughs> so... Like it's it's um everything is back everything is back so yeah I do have formal training in um in, in writing um yeah that was that was that question right <laughs> no, yeah I, no, I no, well I mean else. you know a, a lot of people just sit down and start to write and they've never taken a class they've never written a short story they've never done anything like that and and since you do you know you obviously were were, were grooming yourself to to start this whole enterprise, you know. Um, I Like me, for example, I didn't write anything creative. I did text journals and things like that. But the first thing I did creative was I sat down and wrote a novel in 2001. And uh, I was old in 2001 because I'm, I'm a lot older now. Um, 
So like, so like for me, in in my example, you know, I obviously I had a good control of, of English language, but I had never done anything creative like that at all. Oh yeah, like, um, I think. Well, no, in my classes, I had to write certain things, of course, because I have degrees in those things. But sure. like for Absolutely. myself, no, I never wrote anything for myself ever, ever, never. Yeah. Never, ever, 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 other than to write my little raps. Write my uh-huh. raps when I was little. I never wrote anything just for fun, ever. I was like, I'm saving. Yeah. Really? That was it. Yeah, yeah, never, ever, 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 no. It was like, it was, it was sacrilegious to me. I'm not writing anything unless it's my book. I'm not writing anything. Write my, I mean, lyrics are not prose, right? Right. So, right. Um, so what was it? That's all it was. And that's how I was so easy to write more of this world. That was it. Boom. Done. And I don't understand, like, for me, personally, Yeah. Most, I love more of this world. First book, I love that book. Right. I was going through hell when I wrote Olivia's Favorite. And everybody tells me that Olivia's Favorite, aside from one problem, there's too many characters, is that it's a, um, that's a better book. I'm like, how on earth is that a better book? Like, oh my lord! <laughs> like, I don't see it. I don't see it. Like, I don't. well, well, don't you don't you think that you know the really good writers at least strive to be better and better and better? You know, the the further along they are in their career, doesn't it make oh, sense? Heck yeah. that oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so so that's that. not so like, far fetched about you. Well, no, it's it's positive that they say that. But I was going through hell when I wrote the book. You understand? So I don't attribute a happy place to Olivia's favorite. I attribute happiness because of how I wrote it, where I wrote that book. That will always be special to me. You understand? Like, that book has my family in it. That, that book has my family. Like, that's, that's my family. Whereas Olivia's mm-hmm. favorite, it ain't had nothing but people who betrayed me in it. So it was just... Um, because there's a lot of betrayal, a lot of betrayal by two important people to Lewis Proof in that book. And I don't, I don't attribute happiness to Olivia's favorites, you know. Right. There's not going to be much happiness. I don't think it's, it's just that um, it's, not, it's not going to be a story where there's a lot of wins for, um, on the horizon, as you, as you see, even... When you get to the end, it's like I got to Lewis has got to take care of this. He's got to battle this threat. It's Lewis, 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 Lewis. She needs to help him. She's, you know, she does come around and have his back on everything. Like that's his girl and everything. But it's going to be Lewis. Lewis has got to decide if he's going to make that ultimate sacrifice. You know, I don't want to get too much out of the bag, but it's going to be really raw. And it's like, what would you do? And um. I encourage everyone to read Prologue, to read um, Young Armada, to read um, Perilous Ambition, to read um, Harvey Marvelous, to get those books, right? Um, because I just think that the way that they fit together and everything, is, it, just, it just shows, it shows a lot of growth, you know? Because mm-hmm. I, I think... Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I was a better writer when I wrote Olivia, I mean, um, The Young Armada and um, 
Perlin's ambition. I was better at that point in time. I think that uh, I could be wrong. I I really loved the first chapter of Harvey Marvelous. I really put, I mean, I put an effort into the entire book, but it's just right. that the, having to drop yourself within 921 pages of a, um, not at the 921 entry of a diary and have to establish the story at that point and then funnel in all the information of who this character is, funnel in all the information of what she perceives the outcome of her first day of school to be, what has happened during the summer, to set the entire stage for all of that in one chapter, and she is such a complex character, and to, for it to not be boring, I was very proud of that. Now, mind you, that's my understanding of that work. Whereas anyone at this given time that's listening to the story can read that story, um, and they can they can come up with their own judgment on that. But myself to say I'm happy with that, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's more important. And it's just like like I said before, I wasn't going to let individuals come into my house and try to destroy my house instead of looking at it as being something beautiful to give them the fuel and ammunition to destroy my house. It was just going to be, look, this is this is a good one. You're going to you you going to even say I'm a good or I'm a bad writer. You're not going to be able to have these other things to nitpick and say this and a third about for no reason, you know, because you're you're just you're just haters. Haters are going to hate, as someone said online. <laughs> but the point is, is that I was very proud of my writing for that. And like I said, anyone can judge me on that. But I put that forth. I put that on the table and I say that's that's dope. The way she is, I'm very proud of 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 Cindy in that space of her breaking everything down. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm so, saying. So, I mean, yes, those, I do believe those, I progressed as a writer. Yeah, those, those, you, those kinds of things you see as your strengths. What, uh, what, what kinds of things, if any, do you see as kind of maybe holding you back or think places where you might, you know, you might um, be able to tighten up your skills a little bit? Um, for me, my biggest... I believe I've gotten I've gotten a lot better with actual dialogue. I don't okay. think that I, like I, I focused on that. Like um, if you watch the trailer for Harvey Marvelous, mm-hmm. um, it's like I'm 16. My life is supposed to be about fun and getting into college while desperately dodging the pitfalls of being awkward and painfully self-conscious. Without for um, that's enough to deal with without these murderous escapades, right? For me, right. Like I didn't know. That, for me, is like my favorite line because of the simple fact that when I heard it read back to me by Cindy Victoria, for the, by the girl who does the voice for Cindy Victoria Chase, the way that she right. put it into rhythm, that was like, oh, shoot, my dialogue on that was, was kind of cool. You understand? So <laughs> the reason why I say that is the fact that I myself would judge myself one way, but it really – matters as in how the audience perceives it. And by me having a narrator, of, I mean, of, of, of um, a, a, someone being Cindy Victoria Chase to read it back to me, it was kind of right. like I was able to take a fresh look at it because I didn't think twice about it when I wrote it, you know? And then I heard the rhythm in it. I heard it. I was like, oh, that's cool, you know? And, I mean, nobody else may think that, but it's just mm-hmm. that, I mean, I, that was the point where I was like, okay, maybe I have gotten better at dialogue. 
So if you would have asked me that, like, last year, I would have said, oh, my dialogue is not great, you know. I think I've gotten better. I can get much better, but that's it. Uh, also, I'll be honest with you, um, I would really, 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 even though I have a degree in English and everything like that, my main concern right. is mastering the English language, period. Like, perfect punctuation, perfect. I've gotten much, 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 much better. But I'm talking perfect punctuation, perfect um, just sentence usage, everything, perfect grammar. That That's one thing. And I, I put that, I think everything else is, 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 is fine. Because, like, I don't think that they're, as far as, like, all these other young adult artists go, right, young adult, young adult authors go, I'm comparable to them as which was, which, was, which was told to me, you know, as in people didn't want to read my book because I don't right. This is a deal with it. It's about a black kid. And let's not even front. The majority of the young adult reading audience is white women, not even young white girls. It is white women. That's the majority of the audience, right? And I do not fault them for, right, for being in the United States and then seeing a book with a cover with two black kids on it when they are the prime audience and thinking, immediately thinking, oh, I want to read this. You understand? Mm-hmm. My point is, is that even with that being the case, I had to encounter so many people who were on Goodreads or wherever that were part of my forum and talking to me, not wanting to read the book. I'm like, you don't want to read the book. And I didn't ask them why, but why do you think? You know, I mean, you're talking to me, right? It just, just something about it really doesn't kind of appeal to you. Whereas when I said, I'm writing a book about a teenage girl, they immediately were like, where's that book? I want to read that book. You understand what I'm saying? So my point is, sure. is that the only reason why I'm saying this is because when they did read the book, they, were, they sent me messages, oh, I didn't want to read your book. I forced myself to read it. Y'all, I loved it. You understand? So I had to, there's certain barriers that I had to cross to get to the point where people read the book and they will tell me um, what their thoughts were, you know, because it, it's just going out to a larger audience, you know. And um, so with that being the case, um, that's how I found out that these people that do read the book, they do largely make me comparable to every young adult artist, I mean, also out there. The most comparison that I got was to um, Rick Rorian, who wrote on Percy Jackson. That was the one thing that kept coming up and coming up and coming up by readers who read the book. Like, oh, I like this like I like Percy Jackson. And so that's how I came with the fact that um, um, they said that I was comparable to a very best-selling author, not just because of the black Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, but authentically because of the quality of Marvelous World. That's my point. Mm-hmm. That's why I said that. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I, I didn't want to come out of the blue and sound like an ass saying, well, I'm as good as every young adult author. No, I was giving the backstory of why I said that. Because <laughs> I didn't sure. come off like as an asshole, you know? Cardinal well, number yeah. one, don't be an asshole. No, but, but on the other hand, you have to have a certain amount of, of honesty about your own work in order to, to even evaluate against other people. You know what I'm saying? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah, basically, I'm confident. Um, I'm confident in stories that I tell. 
I'm very proud of Harvey Marvelous. Um, yeah, there, 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 there are things that I will tweak in the final, you know, um, right book the version that's in print. But as a right now, uh-huh. part of his experiment, Harvey Marvelous, setting them up, setting them up for the, you know, for the you, epic. Yeah, you mentioned that you want to improve your actual English skills, you know, grammar, punctuation, and things like that. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know about the book, but I do have a book to recommend you, and it's called The Chicago Manual of Style. Oh, I have it. I have and that one. I have the random yeah. house. I have eat, shoes, and, I have eat shoes, shoes, and leave. Like, nah, I'm up on right. it. I'm up on it. You know, I am Okay, cool. No, nah, like, I carry, actually, because it's so small, the um, random house um, book that I got from back in the day that has everything in it, um, I carry right. that one with me. You know, so it's just that... Uh, I've gotten a, I've gotten a lot 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 better, and I don't know how that escaped me when I have a degree in English. I just never focused on it, you know. I mean, I never. That's just terrible. And and then on top of that, when you have it, when you have an editor, right? Um, it it all comes out. I mean, like it's you know it's fixed. But no, I'm talking about yes, I'm a competent writer. That's not that's not the problem. The point is is like to have the true mastery. When you know split participles, like I knew all of that when I was a kid, when you had to diagram sentences, right? Then I strayed away right. from that. And it's like now, just as a writer, it's like I feel that like I should master every facet of the technical side of my writing because that has nothing to do with creativity or skill. You understand? It's like you can sit sure. there and learn that, you know? And then even on top of that, it's like um, if you if you look at the trailer and everything that I did, like, I went to school to be a visual effects artist. There's certain things that you can master to get things right that don't have to do with creativity. And it's like, look, right. do you know the theory behind it? Because once you know the theory behind it, everything else is just has the perfect platform to flourish because the foundation right. is sound. You're not going to write something that is muddled because you don't know the prop, proper verb um, usage or, or tenses or something like that, you know? Um, that's sure. what I'm saying. I mean, I don't get tripped up with that, but, well, at least I hope. No, I know. I know. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, you know, for me, I consider myself a work in progress. You know what uh, I mean? I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't stop trying to be better. You know what I'm saying? Uh, indeed. And, and indeed. so, so I want to, I want to tell stories better. I want to be cleaner in my writing. Um, I, I read I read a couple books by John Gardner, who was uh, a, a great American novelist and also kind of like a teacher. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the things that he recommended, you know, that I'm trying to do to be better at. You know, I got I've got a trilogy out there which is about 750 thousand words. That's a lot of damn words. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm, I one of the things that I'm concentrating on doing is trying to write. Know with better brevity, you know. So there are certain things that I want to work on. If if and, and you've already said the ones that you want to work on. So I think that that writers like us are always a work in progress because I don't think I'm ever going to be completely satisfied with how I write or what I write because there. I, I feel. I mean, even now, I think there's room for improvement. I'm getting ready to rewrite my first book. 
um, so that I have a second edition because I want to, you know, I want to shorten it up a little bit. And I want to take care of some of the typos that made it in there, you know. So I, I have a feeling that creatives often are more, they're, they're more critical of their own work than maybe even other people. Do you see that in yourself at all? No, that, that's why, exactly, that's why I brought the point of when I had the, um, when the girl who voices Cindy, when she read the sentences back to me, they were totally, sure. I was able to hear them and see them. I was like, oh, that was kind of cool, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and then, like, you, you also, you, um, you asked me some things that I, would have been self-conscious of before that I could improve okay. on, of course. That's, that's tied to this. Um, one of the things that I was self-conscious about was um, writing stereotypical things for a female character. Okay. And that had – but the thing was the fact that the things that I considered to be stereotypical were in the book because I based them on myself because um, – what was it? And I I had to realize this because when the there's a paragraph that the girl that my um, voiceover artist she read back to me and it made me think about that, which was just the talk of um closing and um Bloomingdale's and things like that. And all of that came okay. from me. You know sure. it came it came from me, it came from my past girlfriends, Louis Vuittons, all that other stuff, like the um friends and family cell at Bloomingdale's because that was my they knew me at Bloomingdale's. Like, when I went to the Gucci store, when I went to Bloomingdale's, they knew me, you know? Like, so that came from me, and I put it in there, and it wasn't stereotypical of a female. My point is, is that that was one of the things that I was, I was thinking that I, I had to avoid as far as, like, um, things that I could be better on. It was like writing what, what could be considered stereotypical. Um, um, what was it? Um, stereotypical content. You know, for based on gender, you know, so that was right, one thing right. Things, things so, uh, that were that were stereotypical and not worthy because they were so easy, you know. Yeah, they but were they were true. Me. Yeah, right, they were true, true because I based it on me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because when she says, um, I forget what she says. She says, I rushed them like I would the friends and family sell at Bloomingdale's with a 20% off coupon. And she says, what can I say? Um, expensive clothing on sale excites me. Expensive clothing on sale excites me. That was me talking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so expensive clothing on sale, that was me. That was straight because Cindy is, I mean, she's a reflection on myself in certain ways. So that, that was totally me. And then, like, um, sure. when she's, and then, like, there's another part when she says, um, I'm really glad that I didn't go with my um, Pagat, my um, new Pagali Louboutins, and instead I went for my um, my pink laser um Air Max 90s. No pink, I forget which one they were. Right, that came right. from me wearing Air Max 90s, and my girlfriend's having Louboutins, so that was that was all genuine to me. But then you think, how would that proceed to a girl reading that? It's like, oh, you threw that in there because you don't know when you. Just, you went for the most play easiest thing. I'm like, no, I went right. for what I wanted to see. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's what that's what it was. You know, so it's things that you be mindful of when you're writing. Um, yeah. But not that. I think that's in the second to the, that's like in the third to the last chapter. That's in um 
Back in this bitch event part two. Yeah, that's it. Um, but you know, that's it. Like, it's just there's so many things that writers can will be subconscious about and they want to improve. This is right. many, many, many things. So, so what? So, what else do you have for me? Well, the last thing I, I want to ask you is, what what do you think is the most valuable lesson? you've learned in putting out this whole series? Um, most valuable lesson. Okay. That's yeah, easy. I mean, if, if somebody oh. asks you, you know, if they ask you, okay, so, so what, was, what did you learn setting out to become this, this writing entrepreneur? What would you tell them? Need a team. Most important thing. Need a team. Yeah, I think so. You need um. Yeah. You have to sit back and understand that if you are a writer, you need an agent. I got all of my deals without an agent. I negotiated okay. my deal after I um hired after I you know got rid of my lawyer. I did both my deals after that. My deals are tight. My deals are dope. Um, yeah, that made me a little bit arrogant in certain aspects. You okay. need an agent in everything that you do. Even though don't go, and I'm not saying you need an agent to get your deal. I'm talking about you need an agent once you get that deal. Never in your life be the one who talks to your publisher about your business. I'm not talking. Uh-huh. I'm not talking about the direction of your book or anything creative. Never in your life deal with your publisher, your editor, about the business of your book. Never in your life deal with a movie studio about the business of your property. Never, ever, ever do it. You get that proper person in there, even if that person is a puppet, and you are telling them exactly what to say, you need that buffer. Never have a business conversation with those who are in control of doing your deal because you will put yourself in a situation where if it goes bad, they will look at you as the rotten fruit. Don't ever do it. You need a buffer. What was it? My boy, um, on Entourage, he had Ari Gold. Ari Gold was fighting those battles for Vincent Chase. Understand that is real. That's the most uh-huh. important thing. Don't ever deal with the person who is doing, who is in control of your contracts or anything like that because you need a buffer. And you will not receive the respect. You could put Joe Schmo in front of them, and as long as that person, um, what was it, knows what they're talking about or they perceive that to be, that person nine times out of ten will be able to get you. Um, what is it? Well, it's, it's always better to have that person. Sure. I'm, tell, I'm telling you from experience, and I cannot stress that enough. That is, the most, that is the most important thing to me. That's the most important thing. That was not the most important thing for me to get any deal that I had, but that's the most important thing any creative person needs to know. You need mm-hmm. a buffer, a buffer. Never have a business number conversation about your property 
with that person. Never. And say it one more time, because if it goes bad, you will be the poisonous fruit. Well, it has a likelihood of becoming you becoming the poisonous fruit. That's all. Well, and, creative, and, and the, yeah. other, the other thing is, you know, if, if you're a creative, unless you've gone to law school, you're not the right person to be the front person anyway. You know? Oh, no, they're going they're, they're gonna to try to talk to you. They're going to try to talk to you. Like, they're going to try to get you into conversation about, okay, well, we're thinking this, that, and a third, or whatever, whatever, right? And you need to be smart right. enough. Don't say anything to agree with them on this. Say, listen, um, I'm willing to talk to you about this, this, that, and a third, but I can't, you know, like, talk to my agent. This is Hollywood. This is the publishing industry. They know that. They know that. And any mm-hmm. editor, anybody that knows an editor, I swear to God, you talk to any editor, because there are authors that do deals with major publishers with their friends who are editors, and they sign those deals, right? Every right. editor will tell you. I had to give this other person more money. They had an agent. I'm telling you, <laughs> don't have those conversations. And like I said, that's a, out of everything that I said, that's the most important thing that anybody can walk away from this way. That's my, that's my mm-hmm. main thing. And because yeah. you need that person. Because after, after a while, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that's all I say. That's all I say on that. And, yeah. and did you have any one instance where something just went completely disastrous? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. I had a, I had a, uh, you got to understand, um, I'm not going to get into the details, but I had to leave it, I had to leave it alone. I was dealing with the highest echelon in Hollywood. We're not talking like, uh-huh. a, uh, we're not talking like, like, uh, we're talking the highest people possible. Sure. Know? Um, and I wasn't at CAA at that point in time. And you got to understand, I was put in a position where the biggest people, they were very um, powerful people who wanted more of this world because it was something new. And I had to negotiate between them. And if you're negotiating between two people, you got to say yes to someone and no to somebody else. You understand? Mm-hmm. And with me mm-hmm. being the person who did that, Dealing with people at that level, they, they were very offended by that, very offended by that. And since I didn't have CAA, CAA came on like the next day. Right. I had to, I had to suffer some major consequences for that. So my point is, is that it's, it's a learning process. So my point is, is that people who are listening to this and will have the, the success that I have, you have to have that buffer. That was my fault. You understand? I should have equipped myself better to be in that situation. You got to think. I put out a book. I'm meeting with the top people in Hollywood by myself. You understand? By myself. Troy C.L.E. from East Orange, New Jersey. I don't care what prep school or NYU I went to. I wasn't ready for that. I had placed myself in a situation that I was not ready for. And those people were individuals who were pros. They did everything that they were supposed to do. I didn't. I was the one who was in the wrong by doing that myself. Of course, they were going to try to talk to me by myself. You understand? And I can't have any animosity towards them. I can only look at myself and to say, look, you have to do better next time. Understand? Right. You have to do better. And even on top of that, that's, that's all it comes down to. You have to do better. You have to do better. 
and don't ever in anyone's life get into that situation. If you can't get a CAA, if you can't get a William Morris, you can't get a Gotham or somebody like that, you need to at least have an attorney. Attorneys are easy to come by. You have to say, look, I had this at the third meeting. And if you do your research to get a proper attorney, the proper attorney, if they're powerful enough, they will take your phone call. If they know that you have X, Y, and Z meeting and you need um, representation, you can tell them that, right? And if they are the right attorney and they know what, um, they know Hollywood, they know this industry, they will have the connections to connect you to the agent that you need. That will be a high-ranking agent at a um, at a um, well-known and powerful firm like a CAA or something like that. That's that's what it yeah. is. And like I said, like I had to learn that lesson. And then even after that, I had multiple opportunities after that, but I had to take I had to take that hit. You know, it was like I got body checked. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. it's all good because I'm still here. Marvelous world, you know, it is marvelous world. And had I done that deal. I would have jumped off the roof killing myself because um, the, the person was because going to. You, because, no, because you brought a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, well, that, and honestly, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't have regretted the deal. I would have regretted what would have happened because if I did the deal, I, if the movie was dope, the movie was going to be dope. Fine, so be it. It's all good, right? I saw my property. I would have done it. I didn't want to, but if I did it, as long as the movie was good, I would have been fine. But there was something that came across later on that was totally contradictory to what I stood for as being like using Marvel's World for education and things like that. You understand? Sure. So that sure. would have been a smack in my face. I would have been like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> different. But it's yeah. just like that's just for me. And it's like I'm looking at these situations, and it's like um, that's fine. I mean, that's just me personally. And, and, and it's like you have to separate your personal from your, your business in a certain extent. But it's hard for me to do that with Marvel as well because that's, that's my family. That's, that's my life. Right. It's tied right. to me. Like there, there's a real Cindy. There's a real Lewis Proof. There's a real Brandon Davis. You know, these people are real. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that's what's up. That's, that's where that is. Yeah. Well, look, Troy, we have run out of time. Did that seem like mm-hmm. a couple hours to you? Well, it's all good, you know. I was I was told that it would go by quick, and um, it did. And I hope somebody, I hope people got something from this. I hope they check the books out. Um, I I promise those who are listening that the sites, the HarveyMarvelous.com site, the Marvelous World site, will be merged, you know. But as I said, Harvey Marvelous came out as an experiment, and that's why it's like that. So, um, mm-hmm. what is it? And like I said, if Anybody reads the book, um, i trying to think. Contact me through my MySpace page. If you want to be part of the reading group, if you want to be part of the social experiment that's going on with Marvel's World that you hear about, I mean, Harvard Marvel's that you hear about later, hit me up on my Facebook page. Um, hit me up on the Marvel's World, the face, Facebook.com, I mean, Facebook slash Marvel's World or whatever. And I'll, I'll put the contact information. I don't know if it's on the, the Marvel's World site. But anyway, that's it. Man, I'm, I don't want to cut into the to the end time. So oh no we... no, thank you very much. I want to I want to thank you personally because you know you made my job very easy tonight. You you gave everybody a lot of cool things to think about and a lot of cool things to look up and 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 find out about. So I want to thank you for that. Um, as oh, Jarvis is not yeah, as Jarvis is not available to do his normal uh, goodbye. 
Uh, I'm I'm gonna just take it upon myself. I'm sorry. I said it's all good. It's all good. He'll hit me up online. Yeah, and then uh, hang on a second. Um, and I want to thank everybody who who stuck it, uh, stuck around for the show and uh, played around in the chat room because that's always fun to watch. I want to thank those who picked this up as a podcast for supporting us, and I want to thank anybody who supports uh, the radio show and BlackScienceFictionSociety.com for their support. Excuse me, we can't do it without you. And uh, so, on behalf of Jarvis and uh, and, and and my new best uh, today friend <laughs> Troy C L E, and that's how you find yes. him on on Amazon. Troy Space Capital C Capital L capital E. So do a search if you want to check out his work. Um, and uh, I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to call it an evening. I want to thank everybody for being here and we will catch up with you all next Friday. Thank you very much. Thanks, Troy. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Have a great rest of your night. Okay. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.